Good morning, everybody. Good morning, and thank you for joining me again for another episode for the Localization Fireside Chat. My name is Robin Ayub. I'm the founder of Localization Fireside Chat, and um, my guest this morning is Jan Henrich, and Jan is uh, from Beluga, Beluga Linguistics, and he just got back from Gala, all excited, wants to tell us all about what happened at Gala. Actually, we saw the photos, but uh, uh, on, on LinkedIn, on a variety of social media, seems to be people having fun. Hopefully it was informative as equal as as fun as it was. Um, welcome to the episode, Jan. Uh, glad to have you with me and as a guest on this on this episode. Always good to chat with you. I know you and I have talked uh, several times over the years. Um, always to get your perspective on our industry, on uh, the topic of the hour, on what's concerning, where the opportunities are, and where the challenges are. So. Before we get too deep into the conversation, if you don't mind, uh, Jan, uh, just do a little bit of an introduction for yourself. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your company, uh, where you're located, etc. Okay, so yeah, wonderful. Thanks a lot, Robin, for having me today here. Uh, yeah, some some of you might already know or heard of, of me from um, from Lucklands. I'm the founder of Lucklands. This was a little site project I started four years ago, and today it's a uh, pretty, pretty vibrant. I would say we had a wonderful Lockland after party at Gala. Uh, One hundred plus Locklanders get together, got together, and it was amazing. So our ambassadors, local ambassadors, did a fantastic job. Yeah, uh, we had a lot of time and brought many people together just to have informal chats. So apart from this little side project, I'm the CEO and founder of Beluga, which is a translation company. We are specialized in software localization and uh, started in 2004 my journey in the industry by accident, I would say. My brother started a network, a social network. I was in charge for localization um, and I did my best to to, to be up to the uh, to the requirements. And from 2006 on, we externalized ourselves, built up Beluga, and here we are. So uh, where is Beluga located? And, uh, you know, how big is Beluga uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of either, however you want to measure that? So now I know in our industry, when you ask that question, it's a bit tricky. But for you, how do you, how do you measure that? And where are you located? I know you just no, moved. That's no, no problem. So the, the, the first question, where are we located, is a little bit more tricky, I think, because we we were founded or we founded the company in Madrid because uh, my wife is from Madrid. I'm German. I'm from Hamburg. Um, but the weather conditions just are clearly uh, better in Madrid than in Hamburg. So it was an easy sell for her to bring me to Madrid. We started the business there. And uh, our team is uh, remote, 100%. So this is um, this means we are all, but me in Spain. I'm right now in Lisbon in Portugal, where we start our new endeavor for for Beluga. Okay, excellent, great. Um, so how was Gala, by the way? How was it? Yeah, Gala was uh, was a blast. I mean. You know what? What is amazing at Gala is it's a different sort of com um, conference because it's an association, and you clearly feel the the vibes of delegates 
and uh, members, right? Mm -hmm. Members and those who, who come there to learn something, but there's a clear focus on the community of the Gala Association. And um, that makes everything very personal. We had these group discussions. Hey, let's ask our members, you know, what, what do you believe about that? And da, da, da. So back and forth from stage to your audience, which was really great and very exciting. A lot of very good presentations. Um, I think what, what is said on social media, I can just confirm it. It was a blast. It was a very nice conference. It was Dublin, um, the second largest uh, European conference happening in after the pandemic. So everybody came with a lot of power <laughs> and and uh, yeah, we had six days. I was there six days. So forgive my voice. Uh, it was a non-stop marathon. I, I don't know how others are, but uh, that was quite a challenge. You know, all these years in the industry, and, I, and you know me, I've been in the industry for two decades almost. Uh, all these years in the industry, I've never been to one uh, gala conference. I've been, I've been to Loke World once, uh, but gala, like, this, is a, this is a secret. I guess I kept it a little bit. So I'm revealing a secret on this episode. I've never been to a gala conference. I heard so much about it, and I want to go see it. But I never had a chance to go see one. So I'd love to participate in the next one. Hopefully, hopefully I'll, I'll have the opportunity to join and see the vibes that you experienced. I, I really look forward to that because it must be amazing. Everybody from the same industry have, you know, the same passion, uh, the, same, um, the same concern and the same opportunities and they're exchanging ideas. What a wonderful place to be in. Uh, plus, have some fun, plus have some fun after all this lockdowns and COVIDs, et cetera. So forget about all this now. So tell me, uh, you asked, last, last time we talked, you mentioned something about uh, your company was going through ISO certification, et cetera. And you had some observation on the topic and, um, you know, from your own experience, from the experience that Beluga had to go through. <coughs> Although, you know, I mean, standardization and standards and quality standards are very important to every industry, obviously, as you can see in variety of industry, service-based, manufacturing-based you need a specific processes to follow in order for the output to be validated as a quality output followed a specific standard. So it helps in every sector, but there is for those who did not do or did not go through an ISO certification before, uh, I'm not talking about the, um, the audience who has been doing ISO every year, but for those who never did ISO before, what can you tell us about the process? Yeah, I, I think, you know, ISO is always like, oh, what do we do? Shall we get certified? And I, the, the topic turned up the first time when we, in 2006, I think, we joined the association. It was uh, where the companies were talking about, you know, the language quality ISO, you know, the new standard and so on. So there, there was our first point of contact with, with the ISO standard. Um, what is ISO? So ISO, first of all, I think it's important to understand it's a framework on how do you approach certain things? How do you analyze? How do you plan? How do you do? How do you get the feedback from that loop? And then how you, you improve on what on your findings. Mm -hmm. So this is the framework. Um, 
already with this, I think it's it's clear it's a it's a mindset. So when you embrace ISO, you are entering in a structured way of understanding your business. Hmm. So why did we do it? Why? So we are 9001 certified since 2000, uh, I say 2018. Um, and now we are in the process of the 27001. So we started with the 9000 because it is a form of getting organized. As a company, you asked me before, how big are we? We are now at 11 people. We're now growing to some 16 people. So business and operations is growing. We're sort of a small company for ISO certification, maybe. But our approach was, you know, start early, get things structured, and overall in processes. And uh, process thinking is at the very core of, of the ISO certifications. Now, this process thinking is at the core of enterprise building. You know, you can't scale your business if you do not have processes. And these processes, you need to have processes to think about the, these processes, you know? So this is, this is where I felt it was very good for Beluga on a short and, and long term to, to get in the right thinking mute. So one of the, um, you know, for, it's a common, um, uh, I guess, to many people, we think automatically uh, ISO is uh, for a mega or large organization, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, from our conversation, it feels like ISO is not just for the large companies or for the small companies too. And it could be, you know, when you set the processes for a small company, it could be also, you know, the impetus, if you will, for growth is the, you know, the Absolutely. push to grow because now you have a standardized processes. It's a selling feature, I'm assuming. Uh, I guess in our industry, specifically in the localization industry where, you know, you've got, it's a mishmash of ways of doing things. There is no standardized way of doing things. Every company does different things in the way their customers requirements or whatever the case may be. But ISO brings some sort of a framework to say, Yes, I am following. I am saying I'm going to do X, Y, Z for Mr. Customer. I am doing them. This this process, I'm assuming, at the end of the year, it's audited process. So we can't we can't just say I'm going to do one thing and go turn around and do something else because the process is going to get audited and it will show. And I love the uh, fact in every process they emphasize the feedback loop that you that you get back on projects on uh, from customers from internal etc and the improvement process. So it's continuous improvement. And that evolution, you know, sets the foundation for any small company or large company, whatever size it is, to get to the next level, to continue moving forward. As you know, in business, if you're not moving forward, you're going backward and nobody wants to go backward, so. Absolutely, yeah, you name it. You know, the feedback loop is so super important because it feels like, okay, oh, the, the, the audit is coming, right? Let's get things done, right? So yes. even if you're, you know, if you're in a small company and, and you are lacking structured processes at this point, the ISO certification does not oblige you to do certain, also certain things, yes, but, mm -hmm. you know, you are on top of what you want to do, yeah. you know? 
It's just that the ISO, at least the 9000 framework, uh, 9001 framework, will say, tell you, you know, whatever you say, structure it, plan it, do it, uh, get feedback uh, on it, act document on, it. on your results, you know, and then improve it. And that's what, what the 9001 is all about. So the 9001 for us, for Beluga, was a natural first step. Yeah. To get used to structured processes, to the auditing process, and also for for you know for our clients, of course, but but mainly for us as a company to get structured, to not to forget about important decisions you need to do, yeah. reviewing and, and and so this was this was our initial journey. So um, on based on your experience, and I know a lot of uh, customers they issue RFPs and they issue requests for quoting, etc. And now I'm seeing more and more of requirements to have an ISO standard. So there is a huge purpose to have ISO standard to from a documenting the process, making sure that you know people are when you start growing an organization when you're more than two or three employees, you need a bit of a uh, a way to regulate how you do things internally. But the other flip side to that is the, the flip side of that is the customer side where customers are, and correct me if I'm wrong, are more and more aware uh, that they need to have a certain process in their requirements, a procedure in their requirements, and they're defaulting to ISO obviously, right? So customers have many things in their RFP as a requirement for the services, but to summarize this is they're putting ISO as a standard in, in their requirements to buy services from the localization industry. Am I correct with that? I, I, I would, I would re reply with a com another question. You know, if, you, if you see how the sector has evolved in the last 20 years, for us in software, which is like getting very important in terms of global impact, uh, you know, digitalization and all, all this stuff. Now, think back 20 years. You know, we were in 2003, 2004, and all the, the startups um, that today, BMWs, Google, Facebook, Meta, and all these, all these guys were just starting or, or not even have been founded, right? Uh, Facebook. That's right. Um, so the world ha has changed massively. While at the beginning, we had sort of hybrid hybrid atmosphere out there with a lot of people who had maybe no idea at all. You know, young people running these companies yep. who have never in their lifetime touched internationalization in a, in a serious way, like me, you know? I was, yep. So this has gone very professional over time. Revenues grew, rose, has, has shown immense impact in the whole IT sector, the companies that were startups mm -hmm. are nowadays the blue chips, right? These yeah. super large uh, enterprises and and everything got more professional over time. This is something, you know, from, my, from your experience, from my experience, you might have seen. You're absolutely this. correct. I mean, the industry has gone through meta, metamorphosis over the many decades in, in the last two decades. Many metamorphoses because 
uh, on various level, on technology, on process, on uh, you know the demand for the work, for demand for the for the translation uh, services. You know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, if you go back in history, definitely there was not as much demand as it is right now. Even at the level of the content creation that was back then, a lot of this, you know, the world was not as interconnected as we are today. And that what that's what drove uh, the uh, the need uh, for more services in the localization and translation industry. And the more connected world we live in, the more we're going to require people to understand each other hence we come together as a, as a as an industry and provide the services to that to that cause if you will and so you're right i mean you're absolutely correct the need to make sure that we you know put a processes around and regulate it a little bit so we understand how the, how that how, how this industry goes work or how the service gets delivered because the last thing customers you know they have an idea they're not an expert at our business some of them are um, but they have an idea what translation is, but they rely on trust us. They trust the localization industry to deliver something good to them. And so, you know, the ISO standard comes to fill that gap, if you will, in, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm not pitching for ISO, but if you have any other if you have any other process, or if you have any other documented process other than ISO, it all works. But if you have an audited process that you can demonstrate you know, I say I'm going to do X, Y, Z for my customer. I'm doing X, Y, Z for my customer. And here's the audit report to prove it. I think this is this is valuable. This is very valuable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And our counterparts, you know, the localization managers on our client sites, you know, they yeah. have been growing up quite a lot. You know, they, they got super mature. And these people sure. on the client side were first maybe people from support. You know, hey, language support, and hey, you can do language management, right? Yeah, so perfect. So over the last twenty years, I we have seen you know a, a very high level of of maturation, and maturity, mm -hmm. and of uh, sophistication. So you know, program managers, uh, project managers, coordinators, the, the, the localization is departments grew very sophisticated now all this comes with a you know a need or requirement for managing complexity and iso standards or whatever other standards as you mentioned you know is just a way to get some check mark on something you don't want to control yourself or you can't control yourself correct correct absolutely and it removes the mystery from the buyer perspective, right? So from the buyer perspective, I don't have that fear. If I was in the buyer's shoes, or if I was playing the, the role of a buyer, I don't have that, you know, always thinking, you know, I'm buying, you know, um, step one, step two, step three, step four in the process. Am I really getting those steps in the process? Because I'm not visible to their company. I'm not visible to the service provider company. I'm not in their you know, sitting next to the translator, I don't understand what they're doing. I'm going to rely completely on A, a trust, and B, good quality, which governed by a standard of sort. Uh, in this case, happened to be happened to be ISO, but, you know, it, mm. it removes that question mark from the buyer. Right. And I think, you know, Robin, we are, we are here talking about the ISO because last time when we talked, we mentioned the... Um, the 27001. And I think right. we should time to, to this specific ISO because um, 
the the world has seen quite some changes in the last five years, which is yes. a pandemic put everybody in remote like us. Uh, yep. We pivoted yep. completely. It worked from home, came in there. We had uh, every many of the companies out there have really embraced digitalization. So that means, you know, all the systems, all the SaaS services and, and, and an explosion of B2B SaaS services. Yeah. And then we had the, we have the Ukraine war, you know, cyber attacks. What is cyber warfare? What is, you know, cyber attacks for corporates? How, how can we mitigate the risks? And this risk assessment is a 2700. So 27001, you bring a very good point. Um, and, and, and I was going to dive a little deeper into 27001, especially now with the world that we live in. From a, uh, for those uh, who are not familiar with 27001, is a info security pretty much uh, a standard. Uh, this standard uh, it, it talks about how are you set up from an IT perspective? How are you set up from an information security perspective? Do you have all the check boxes in place? Do you have all the rules in place? Uh, do you have all the procedure, procedure in place to ensure that the information I, you are being uh, trusted with are securely either trans, transmission, transmissioned or transit, transited to the customer or uh, kept on your databases? So um, it is um, quite the diligent process to go through because you got to go through audits on your IT network, on your software, on your uh, every piece of um, uh, gear that you have in your network. Plus, if, it, if you're virtual or if you're running an on-premise uh, IT solutions, all this information needs to be checked, checked to the latest standard to make sure that you're following the appropriate procedures in place to contain any potential cyber attacks against your uh, your network. And, you know, we may think of ourselves like as a small company and nobody knows about, you know, where I am and nobody, you know, hackers are not going to probably, you know, find a 6, 10, 20 employee company in a, in a city around the world just to try to get to them and disrupt their network. Well, the objective is generally, the objective is not the localization service provider. The objective is generally, generally, generally speaking, is the information you hold. So the information you hold and, and, and you know, exhibited by, you know, some of, some of the customers are asking for those types of standards. They're asking to do security audit. They're asking to do a bunch of things because they know, and we all know that, you know, the information that is being transacted, trusted to us, it's very important. And we want to make sure that we keep it in a very vaulted area, in a secure area that nobody can get to it. So how do we ensure that? So the 27001, it's the mechanism uh, to make sure that we have all the checks and balances in place, that this procedure, these procedures are met or are followed. So you can give, again, the trust to the customer or to the partners that you're dealing with, that their information is securely kept. Exactly. And we, we were lucky enough that well, I was surprised and happy about seeing at Gala um, a presentation about the 27001. And this is maybe, again, you know, back to our industry. Uh, they started off with a fantastic, uh, raise your hands, guys. You know, who, who has ISO 27001 certification in this room, right? So we were like, 
mm, I would say 60 people in that room. It wasn't by no means a crowded room, right? Half of the room empty and it felt like, okay, so not, not really top of mind, but it was like 60, 70 people in the room, which was pretty cool. Now, after the question, only four people raised their hand. Hmm. Four people out of 60, well, this is under 10%, okay? And before the conference, uh, I did some chat GPT, another hot topic these days. Yeah. Now, please analyze the top 100 NIMSI list and tell me how many companies are 27001 ISO certified. The result was 20 out of 100. Wow. So what we see here is the, the top notch of our industry, 80% are not certified yet. Maybe they are in the, in the process, but maybe they're yeah. considering it, whatever. Only 20% have a certification. It doesn't mean that the scope of their certification is like the whole company. It could be one area, one whatever, okay? Whatever, okay? But 20% out of 100. So we talked about that, the 80-20 rule. 80-20, yeah. <laughs> but the reality in that room was even lower. Yeah. So when we go to the whole industry and look at it, we're not talking even at 20-80, at mm-hmm. but maybe 10 to 90%. That's right, that's right, that's right. And, and you know... Um, as we continue moving forward and the uh, world is not going to get less connected, it's going to get more connected and the importance of these types of certification. And I'm sure there'll be other certification coming along. Uh, there will be, um, uh, there'll be very important in our business and it creates, you know, for those, you know, I, I love my 80, 20 and, and I'm glad you remembered it. My 80, 20 rules on pretty much everything. Now it works. So the 20% that do have it, and uh, the world is waking up to the, you know, the infosecurity uh, waking up. I mean, they're already awake. They already know what it, what it is, issues. They are demanding 27001. So for those who have it, it is a quite the differentiator, uh, competitive advantage. And, and let's, waste, let's face it, we love each other as an industry and we bond together as an industry. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes uh, companies compete against the same business, right? So we go after mm-hmm. the same opportunities in some cases, and you got to create yourself some sort of a differentiator, trust, security, value. And this is what this is providing, really. Right. And this, this, these parts of the data security framework, information security framework, definitely comes from IT. The CTOs of these, these worlds, mm-hmm. this is top of mind right now so ceo cto most of the companies out there i mean fortune 500 and you know all the software industry they need to comply with these standards why because the top companies in the world Mm -hmm. are certified now their msa is the contract work the legal contract work we need to sign and this is how i came to, to the ISO certification because I had no clue. Yeah. But suddenly in, in some of our, you know, MSAs we, we have seen, it was like, okay, either you have a certification. Now, first of all, it was, you know, if you do not have any sort of certification in this, in this um, matter, 
it will be very hard to process to start with, right? Okay. Then I have seen the same requirements in a lot of MSAs where it says, okay, either you have this or you have to comply and explain all, all these controls. How do you do it? Now, it, it was obvious for us half a year ago, we started more or less half a year ago with our endeavor. Mm -hmm. It was obvious that, you know, going one by one again and again through all this checkmark, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. As a business, it's a huge amount of time, energy. And, you know, if you have a certification body that says, you know, you are okay with all this, it's so hugely more effective for the buyer side to decide, okay, check mark, check mark, check mark, go for it. You know, show me some samples that I can prove that everything is good, but that's it. So that's why we embrace the, the standard. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you've been at it for a while now. General question, uh, what is your perspective on an IT structure that you have, let's say, on-premise, like in your computer room somewhere, versus a virtualized <laughs> IT structure? And what's the difference between going through the certification in both scenarios? Yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, we are remote 100%. Yes. And we are a cloud-based company. That means we do not have any legacy systems. We have been working with TMS, online cloud versions of TMS, ever since. We have never owned, you know, our servers where we have data. Software localization is certainly a very, you know, very specific area mm -hmm. where ongoing and on, you know, ongoing translation management or continuous localization or however you want to call it is like the first choice always. So that means if pure integration into the systems of our clients, they are connected to a TMS, a platform where we connect our, where we bring our human resource on top and where we manage the process. So mm -hmm. this is, this is the, the, the basic idea that a world, and, and this is also true for the challenges we, we encountered with the 27, that the world before was all firewalls, server center, you know, server data centers, firewalls, and routers, switches, <laughs> all this stuff, right? Now, the 27 is built on that model. Now, our model in 2023, at latest, you know, is fully cloud-based. Most of the time, you work with Google Cloud, you work with Asana, you work with Slack, you know, you name it. In sales, HubSpot, Salesforce, blah, blah, blah. If you yeah. have on-premise instances, it's good, but, you know, the, the, the cons are so big. You're not getting updated. You have to have an internal system. You need to, to focus time and resources on managing information. Mm -hmm. Now, when you want to comply with the 27001, there are a lot of controls that are based on these old models. And the consultants we have many times have no idea, you know, that, hey, we did this, you know, that was our blueprint. And now uh, this German guy comes up and says, you know, everything in the cloud. So, you know, basically it, 
the risk assessment you have to do is it's first of all 27001 is not just IT. It's very important to understand that this is not about software. This is about how you manage information in your company and how do you make sure that that you understand the risk involved with this information. Correct. You know, and that is that is where where we have been on a very interesting journey for for some some time now, uh, and hopefully certify in you know two months or one one and a half months. We we have our audit, and uh, yeah, to get the cloud into the framework that is that is a big challenge. So what you know, this brings the topic of uh, we are living in a twenty seven zero zero one. Let's say supplier vendor those kinds of arrangements. Um, would you have you had a the I don't know if you had the discussion or not, but have you explored requiring your vendors to be 27001? So uh, you, you mentioned that your software is cloud-based. So I'm assuming your vendor now needs to be, if they're not, maybe they are, to be 27001 to be compliant with the entire loop, if you will, of software exactly. users, that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that is that is the silver bullet. Yeah. That's right. You need you need to understand, you know, where do where where's the scope, and how are our relations with our um, clients? Yeah. Who's responsible for what? Because the TMS, you know, comes with the clients. The client says, "Hey, Linebridge, uh, Beluga, whoever, you know, this is the TMS we have chosen, and please work on this this tool, right?" That's right. Now. Who accesses these uh, tools? A freelancer. We have under contract subcontractors of us. Now you know, but who controls the software? Is the client or is the TMS? And who is responsible to to all the logs? You know all this stuff. This is where Gala triggered a few very interesting conversations again. Yeah. <laughs> Where I think you know, Robin, we need to to talk about this, and this is this is so helpful that this podcast gives a you know maybe a first initial brief about that. Absolutely. But we need a discussion about who's really responsible. How do we comply as an industry with this, and can we expect a translator, you know, to comply with all these? 100, 190 controls, which is just That's right. completely nuts. So yeah. this is something we need to figure out, I think. Yeah, so, you know, you bring a very valid point because, um, you know, the uh, the con- if, if you, let's say, you're in a contractual obligation with a customer, that <laughs> responsibility that you agreed at with, uh, with the customer, it has to roll down to the various providers, software, people, et cetera. Um, are they willing to accept that? Are they willing to sign up to what the customer is asking for in certain cases? If we are using 27001 as the guide or as the benchmark, uh, then it's pretty straightforward. You can ask, we can ask the supplier, are you 27001 uh, compliant? But I, you're right. I'm not expecting every freelancer in our industry to be 27001 Um on their end, uh, unless you want to bring them to your environment and in your environment, 
they become inherently 27001 through remote login or any of any of those arrangements, I guess. You name it. So it's yeah. a, we are in a supply change chain. Um, what we have seen is it's easy to ask for, you know, hey, 27, you know, go for it. Yeah, for well, sure. This easy to, to mm -hmm. adapt is not really a reality. It's uh, for us, it has been really mind changing experience. Mm. It is about getting an, a feeling and understanding about all the 100,000 things you haven't done, you haven't thought through before. So yeah. it's a process. It's nothing you can just buy. It's yeah. nothing you can just, you know, get somebody and, hey, sign me this certification. You no, need to it doesn't go work through that this way. Process. Yeah. And the whole organization goes through this process. And I'm assuming like in a small company such as yourself, I mean, you don't have a dedicated in a department that handles that. Maybe it defaults back to you to do the work uh, with another help. Uh, it's pretty much, you know, you, you roll up your sleeve and you probably have to do it, which causes a lot more, you know, uh, you have other responsibilities too. You still have to manage the company, but meanwhile, you got to focus on this one. It's, it's a challenge. It's a very, it's a very big it challenge. Is. You know, so so yes, I, unfortunately, fortunately, I have somebody helping me. Oh, uh, good. <laughs> IT at Beluga exists. Uh, Excellent. We are growing, so so we need to to build up business and and uh, and uh, consolidate our operations. But it's true that I'm very much involved here. And from Gala, the the people who who presented there, it was the CEO and chief of technology, right? Yeah. Who were working on this project. It's very top level because yeah. it affects the whole company. And Correct. then we have the, the whole training stuff. You know, one thing is implementation of thinking through how do we organize the lock-ins, right? How do we control them? Access rules, lock for our people, but now for the the, the outer sphere of that's, our business, right? right? For all that's the right. freelance. That's right. It is a transformative uh, journey. And uh, it's it's better to start soon, sooner than later, because it's um, it's not something you can do just just running, just signing up. And you that's need right. to, to, to be on top of it on, on management level. So... Have you done through the process, have you started thinking or you've done it already, any cost benefit analysis to how much does it cost you to have and go through the audit process and go through the installation of an ISO or adopting an ISO 27001 in your business versus how much, you know, revenue you're going to bring out of this and, and is it worthwhile? Have you started thinking down that line and what's your thinking there? Yeah, that, that is a very good question. So in terms of cost at Ghana, the presentation was 20,000 they spent on their business, uh, more or less our size. I think we, we are below that number, um, but it all, because we have no, we haven't had any legacy, mm -hmm. right? So, so this was this was a good thing, but you need an auditor, you need a, a consultant, somebody who understands this, who helps you with the documentation, and um, you know easily. And then software solutions, right? You can buy almost everything, but everything is costly, and and the 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 easier it goes, 
the yes. more it costs, right? That's right. That's right. Again, we are here in a, in a problem that LSPs are sort of strange, strange things, right? We are entities, but we are not software entities. Software entities, 27 is very, very good, very structured, very well organized. And there are a lot of solutions. There's a lot of competition. For LSPs in our environment, for freelancers, you know, our ecosystem, there's no such thing happening right now. And so this makes everything pretty challenging on a mental point of, of, of view. Yeah. But it's okay. So now, from your other question, if it's worse, I would say, you know, there's no alternative. Yeah. But this question is not that, do you want to do it? You will have to do it because the alternative is show how you do it. And that is from, from a cost perspective, it's way more expensive. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Okay. So you're the founder of Low Clunch. And, you know, a lot of us in our industry, because, you know, I tell people like we're um, in, in, you know, you know, I'm the president of the Canadian Language Industry Association. So, you know, we're all volunteers and we volunteer our time uh, for, for associations, for organizations, for, you know, regional things that you do. Uh, in your case, Low Lunch and, you know, other jurisdiction, other countries have the same arrangements. And I keep telling, I, telling people like we're driven by the fuel of passion. We don't have any, we don't have any other, you know, nobody's paying for this. Nobody's, you know, contributing uh, people like they have so much passion to the industry uh, and they will do whatever it takes to keep moving the industry forward. Hence, you know, I started this channel and you started Low Clunch. So tell me a little bit about Low Clunch. I know we're coming up here on the, uh, on the time, but just tell me a little bit about Low Lunch. what got you thinking that way. And now it's everywhere. You Quite the success, low lunch. I've been to several low lunch in Toronto, Canada, um, and you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen, uh, I've seen the teams around the world, and from the U.S. to Europe uh, to various uh, places around the world. That what you started as a small scale became, you know, a large uh, initiative in our in our industry. Tell me a little bit more of that. Yeah, it was it was curious because at at Gala the the. Um, the keynote speaker was Dave from Meetup, the CEO from Meetup. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so Meetup, you know, it's uh, getting people together and, and running events. Um, on one of his slides, he presented the loneliness factor. So how many people are lonely at home? And it's surprisingly high, the number. You know, it's a, just a, a massive, massive number of people who are not connected who have not regular contact with friends, family, you know, a social network. So what happens, I started Lock Lunch as a, um, as a result or a consequence of a locked world. I went to Santa Clara. So I okay. traveled from Madrid to Santa Clara to have lovely conversations with somebody from Spain, but I had no clue of his existence and you know and it felt like this is so crazy we're paying we're privileged to be there but it's a huge expense and there's a lot of um tension in the air of these conferences because people pay a lot of money for it mm -hmm. so expectations are high and i felt this is this is not not what we 
should have as an only resource to connect people. And and thus, you know, I, I started this log lunch thing and I, I, you know, it was an accident. I didn't knew anybody in Hamburg, my hometown, from the industry. So, so this was like, because I moved out before and it was um, this first meeting where we brought together a TMS guy, you know, Wolfram from, from Trace, um, Tolingo CEO, um, yeah. then a translator and myself, and we just had a great conversation on a round table. We didn't know each other before. We had this conversation, we talked about technology, we talked about problems, and it, it felt like, oh, cool, we have the whole industry here, right? right. Mm -hmm. Almost like the bias side was missing, but <laughs> but this is this is this is what we need in our industry. You know, that we have a mutual understanding of what's happening. And and on the on the conference scale, we only see targeted conferences. So Logworld yeah. is for buyers and LSPs. Cross.com is for translators and LSPs. Alia is translators or, or just LSPs, right? So, you know, we need to bring together this stuff and it should be at the lowest cost possible. And that was Lock Lunch. And it scaled so good and people flocked in so much because I think, you know, it's, it's just simple. Yes. And you know what? It, you, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about solving the problem of loneliness. Our industry, and, and this got nothing to do with COVID, but COVID, you know, multiplied the problems uh, for us as an industry because we were isolated. But our industry by nature, the, if you think of the translator's job, they're not working with, you know, many other people around them. They're just focusing on what they're doing and they're doing it as, as a foundation of our industry. Obviously, we have project managers, desktop publishers. There's many other now involved in our industry. But the foundation of our industry was the linguist. And the linguist, by nature, is a, by the nature of their job, is a, you know, you have to focus on what you're doing. You have to translate. You have to, you know, up till now, it's still you know, manual exercise with the aid technology, but you're still doing the job on your own. There's nobody assisting you. You're not sitting at a round table. You're not calling meetings. You know, you're not doing architectural engineering and you need, you know, several opinions on a diagram uh, or on a structure. Um, this is a one-on-one -on -one relationship between the linguist and their computer. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe there are some other connection via IM, et cetera, but you bring a very good point. And it solved it. And I remember going to some of the local lunch events here in Toronto. And I tell you, it's very good to see, you know, the, the team, good to meet people, new people that they're coming to the industry or people that they come into local lunch with some sort of a, a problem or a concern. And once you talk about it, it sounds like you either solve it or just the fact that you've talked about it. If you couldn't solve it, if you, talk, if you just talked about it, it sounded like, you know, a bunch of people getting together. They have the same common understanding, same goal same industry, and trying to help each other, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I've been to one in Montreal where I couldn't believe it. The entire, um, the entire uh, restaurant was reserved. I, I, I can't remember how many people were in. Normally, I go to these things like, you know, like five, maybe to 10, five to 10 people. That local lunch in Montreal had over 30. And I just wow. like, it was pretty Amazing. cool. <laughs> of course, Montreal That's is- Almost qualifying for mega local lunch. <laughs> it's crazy. You know? But a good job, good initiative. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the network is decentralized. So this is very important. Um, it is not like women and localization. 
Okay. What and 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 if you if you let me, uh, I would love to just name the core principles, our code of conduct. Because it's very important that people understand what is Lockdown and what is not. So Lockdown is a social gathering, it's a safe place. What we want to create is a safe place. So the ambassadors are the hosts of these safe places and they must fulfill the code of conduct, which is no pitch, no promotion, and no presentations. You know, so by these three Ps, you already understand that this is not the place to to push for sales nor for nothing. It's the place where you, Robin, you said, you know, you have never been to, to Gala or once, right? Once once or I went once to Lock World. I've never been to Gala. To Lock World. You know, yeah. the reasons may, might be plentiful. You know, you can might be because there's no permission, there's no funding, there's no you know personal time for for doing this kind of traveling. Uh, Lock lunch is a monthly meeting, and it's the frequency is of course it depends on the voluntary work of the ambassador. Yeah, but it should be once a month, so it gets out all the pressure. It has no cost but your own meal, so True. nobody sponsors anything. There's no dependencies involved. True. The, if you go to a lock lunch, you do not have to say thank you to anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, you you say thank you to the host right. if it was a great, you know, a great gathering because he organized it. He spent his time calling out, bringing people together, and enabling this platform of trust. What we are building here, so that is the core of lock lunch. And it's Excellent. not not to promote any commercial interest. It's just a platform for exchange of ideas. And you know, and you know what? It's a it's an outlet, and I, that's what I I really like about local lunch. It's an outlet of of people being themselves without the pressure of any other adjacent topic or adjacent worry or adjacent, you know, uh, issues that they need they might need to deal with. You know, get to know the people in the industry. And you know what? Our industry. We, you know, I mean, I'm speaking this in a very general way, I guess, not specific to a company, but in general, our industry is not big on, you know, promotion, marketing, you know, putting ads on billboards. We don't do that. We're industry that's normally, you know, shy a little bit. So, you know, we're not, if you, if you compare us to like the automotive industry, to the healthcare industry, to any other industries out there, we're sort of like, you know, we promote ourselves within within the industry and we do the odd promotion outside social media, et cetera. But we, you're not going to see ads on television. You're not going to see, you know, I haven't seen any unless unless somebody proves me wrong after this episode. The I haven't Super seen, Bowl. <laughs> I'm not going to see a Super Bowl, you know, big commercial for one of our companies in the industry. Less likely. Uh, and again, having an outlet where people can express their views, as you said, no sales pitches, no uh, commercial reason, nothing. And no you know, people, people may people may choose to present whatever topic is on their mind, as long as nobody's pressuring anybody. Yeah, I you mean, know, like, so the 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 thing is, if you're working for a buyer's on a buyer side in a language department, your chances to go to Lock World are what ten percent, maybe, maybe or. Maybe. You know, yeah. depending on your, your your visibility and so on. Right. Yeah. But normally, these uh, these companies just do not let you go. 
Yeah. So basically, you're you're completely alone. So you can go to webinars and all this stuff. But webinars are a few to many communication. Mm. Few to many. So we have always always we know who are mm. the public faces in our industry and we know their opinions and you know there are plenty of outlets for that. Sure. Now log lunch and our aim of log lunch is to get many to many conversations going. Correct. And it's really about, you know, what has the individual to say, what is in their mind, what, you know, what are their reflections? It's not about yeah. what I like to say, you know, in Germany, you say, which is like the, 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 the experts. That's right. You know, ex expert telling creates a lot of silent people. That's right. And, and this is not good for mental health. So if you are on the expert level, you, your ego is constantly challenged to be more, more visible, more, more of everything, right? Yeah. You got to learn to tone it down. The, yeah. And if you're on the other side of the, of the boat, you know, you're on the silent side, mm -hmm. then you feel like diminished. You, you feel small because nobody asked you to be on such a great podcast like yours, you know? Nobody asked you to your opinion, you know, you have no voice. Sure. And I think this is this is something not only in our industry, but in general, our societies, especially the Western ones, are very like expert driven and you know, let's look up to the leader guy and and so well, we gotta we gotta bring people out of their shells. Bring them out of the uh, out of their uh, loneliness if they are lonely, if they're not, uh, if they just want to express their views, etc. And you bring up a very good point. And the reason I started this channel is to give voice for people who do not necessarily, you know, are being asked to speak or they're being asked to uh, put their word out there, right? So um, just getting started a few weeks in. Um, however, that's the plan: is to you know get a conversation with the linguist, get a conversation with project managers. Mm -hmm get conversation with the variety of entities that forms our, our, our industry and uh, try to get them out to speak a little bit about their experiences and what they're, and not necessarily talk like expertise about specific specifics around the industry. Just how do you do it as an individual working, let's say freelancer or from home or remotely somewhere? Uh, how are you feeling? How are you doing today? Um, how is this all thing affecting you now? Um, I, this is wonderful. This is, this is exactly where I'm should. going with this. This is exactly where I'm going with this. But uh, we had to start somewhere. And obviously, I thank you very much for being part of my conversation today. I know we're coming up on the hour here. Thank you so much for being part of my conversation today. Thanks for being part of the episode, Jan. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you do. I appreciate Beluga and, and the conversation we had today about ISO and a variety of other topics. I hope you come in again and we'll have another conversation uh, when we have something big happening in the industry or just to, ch to chat with me, bring a coffee and we'll have another conversation. Would be excellent. So thanks, thanks a lot, Robin, for your efforts and uh, all the best for the podcast, for your endeavor and your, your uh, challenging the status quo. Thank you Fantastic. so much for this. Thank you so much for this. I appreciate it. Until next time, everybody. This is uh, Robin Thank Egan you. from Localization Fireside Chat signing off.